So we're going to look at some scripture together today. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to look. It's about halfway, a little bit past halfway in the Bible. You could look it up on your smartphone or if you want to use um, your Bible you brought with you, of course, or perhaps you don't have one, in which case there's one in the pew rack in front of you here in the West Auditorium, in the East Auditorium. There's some people wandering around right now who'll be glad to give you one as, as uh, we get ready for Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to... Um, we're going to start at verse 16, by the way, in a few moments. I, in anticipation of today's message, I uh, went on the web and thought, well, I probably need to do something about New Year's resolutions, right? And so I just typed in New Year's resolutions. And this 11-page document was the first thing that Google sent me, okay? And I, I just thought you might want to know some of... It's one list after another of self-help stuff, okay? I mean, what, I mean, it just goes... So here it is. This is um, the ultimate list of New Year's resolutions. And I just thought I'd bring you one off each page because it just makes for exciting preaching, okay? <laughs> 42 tips to get skinny. Okay, all right. I, already, I didn't need to read that. I already know. Eat less. 50 ways to practice self-care. It says the first one is have a mini declutter session. Now, Leslie and I, my lovely bride and I, have been married for <laughs> we've been married for 36 years, and I'm telling you, a mini declutter session is not going to work. We just have stuff upon stuff upon stuff. Or here's one, the seven-day law of attraction to-do list, how to be more attractive in seven days. I didn't read that. I would just say, don't be so ugly. But, uh, right? Want to be more attractive? Don't be ugly. <laughs> the 21-day anxiety challenge. It takes 21 days to get anxious? I can do it in about three minutes. I don't need 21 days. I don't need a list to help me get anxious, all right? Or this one. 101 happiness-boosting actions. How do you be more happy in 2018? You know what the number one thing is? Walk on the beach. Well, do you think? <laughs> All right, the next page, how to beat the winter blues. I didn't look at that list. I thought, how to beat the winter blues? Walk on the beach. I go back to the first one. So uh, well, as I was working my way through this, what occurred to me is um, 11 pages of lists about self-help are all about me, right? They're all centered on the self. And I guess that's okay. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that really the best approach? I mean, I want to answer that question today as we look at the implications of the new year and about instead of just doing self-help stuff, how can we live a life, how can we take on a life approach, if you will, that best honors, honors Jesus Christ? Because I think it's fair to ask here at this juncture here at Christmas Eve, wouldn't we like some things in our lives to be different in 2018? But what if our life goals could get past, you know, if you will, if we could get past the diet that's going to bring us to our ideal weight or get past what experience are we going to have that's going to bring the perfect state of mind or how are we going to work more or work so that we get to the best financial status or how are we going to create the coziest house and home or even how are we going to participate in the most ideal romantic relationship? What if our decisions of 2018 could get past what we want to do for us as individuals, but actually also eclipse that by saying, what could we do that would also honor God as well? 
So to answer that question today, I got to tell you, we're going to look at Isaiah 43, and it's a difficult passage of scripture. And to answer that question fully, we're going to be doing some pretty deep theology today. So I want you to put on your thinking caps, and if you will, strap yourself into your seat and say, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be some pretty tough theology and some tough reading and some tough sledding today. Uh, sledding, there you go, to, uh, to, to see what we can figure out about Isaiah 43, because Isaiah is a difficult book to understand, and we'll see what we can together, I think here the last you know, weekend of the year, let's take on some tough stuff, all right? Isaiah 43, beginning at verse 16, says, This is what the Lord says. And immediately upon saying, This is what the Lord says, Isaiah doesn't tell us what the Lord says. It's like, This is what the Lord says. And he goes, Oh, by the way, you may not know who the Lord is. And so with that, he describes who the Lord is. This is what the Lord says. Who's the Lord? It's he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. You go, what's that? I thought he was going to tell us what God says. Well, you can understand it this way. Maybe you know the story of the people of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt for some 400 years. God provided a way for them to, be, to get, escape and to gain their freedom. And that meant that they left Egypt. They went racing across the Egyptian desert. They got to the, dead, the Red Sea, and there was no way to get across. The Egyptian army was coming behind them. The waters literally of the, of the Red Sea actually opened up. They marched across, went into the Sinai Peninsula. As the Egyptian army came running behind them, And as the Egyptians got into the ocean or into the sea there, the water came over them. So the God who put that together for the people of Israel, that's the God who is going to speak. The one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. So this is what the Lord says. Verse 18, what does he say? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you see what this new thing is? Here's what I'm doing. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls. Why do they honor me? Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Why? To give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So to, I want to tell you, eventually we're going to get to verse 1 of Isaiah 43, but to get to verse one and to understand verse one, we have to understand what's going on right here in this passage later on in the chapter. So, big breath, here we go. Verse 18 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm, I need, what, by the way, I've just noticed this, this, um, this graphic. They got the new thing and they got the old thing pointing right to me, why is that? Have you noticed that? I think we have to change that next week, don't you think? Hmm, I wonder what the staff are saying to me. Anyways, verse 18 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Do you understand it? Well, what's that about? Well, a little bit of background to this passage of scripture. It's written more than, a little more than 700 years before Jesus was born. Okay, the nation of Israel at that point, 700 years before Jesus, was in both political and military turmoil at the time. The nation had been on the decline for a number of centuries since David had ruled the nation from Jerusalem in uh, 1000 BC. So in 1000 BC, David rules 
Israel, and in fact, you could say the world. And after he died, a decline hit the, hit the nation of Israel. There was a decline in politics and military. And the world, in, they, they, they no longer influenced the world like they had when David was alive. And in fact, their spirituality was in tatters. And the reason they no longer ruled the world was because of the sorry state of their spirituality. And so not long after David stopped ruling and after he died, in a nutshell, the nation stopped following God. The country split in two. You had a group of 10 large families or tribes in the northern part of Israel, and you had two groups, in, two tribes in the, in, the, in the south. And the group in the north, the 10 tribes in the north, they were very quick in terms of history to stop following God. If you could put it this way, they stepped into apostasy. So God's hand of protection is over them. Here's the, here's the 10 tribes in the north of Israel. God's hand of protection is over them, and they go, oh, we're not so, so certain that we want to follow God. We'll describe that in a little bit later on. And so they walked away from the protection of God. And in doing so, they no longer were able to speak into the world affairs around them. And the Assyrians rose to power in that vacuum of Israel losing its might. The va- in the vacuum, the Assyrians came forth. And the Assyrians showed up in Israel in 721 BC and literally wiped them out. I mean, the people of the north disappeared, and that was the case, we thought, for centuries, until really, until the famine in Ethiopia in 1970, 1980, in the 70s and 80s. What happened was, as, as the world's attention, late in the 20th century, focused on Ethiopia and the number of people who were dying there, they discovered, the people who were working there discovered there were groups of um, well, I'll just say people with, who didn't look Jewish. They didn't have Caucasian skin. But in every other way, they sounded and acted like Jewish people. They spoke Hebrew. They had Jewish uh, religious practices. They had Jewish customs that go back for centuries. And what, what, what historians think is that a few people from the northern tribes... When Assyria showed up in 721, they escaped and they came back through Egypt and they ended up in Ethiopia. And so if you go to Israel today, you will find, I'll just say, white Jews and black Jews. And um, the number of black Jews is quite small because most of them, they, they, they are the descendants, we believe, of the ones in the north, okay? But for the most part, apart from the group that ended up in Ethiopia, for the most part, all the other rest of the people who lived in the north disappeared. Their families are gone, done with, if you will, because they walked away from the protection of God, 721 BC. The group in the south, known as Judah, they were around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, They too walked away from God, but it took them a little bit longer to do it. So they're living under God's protective hand. But as the Assyrians declined and the Babylonians began to increase, then the Babylonians invaded Assyria, the Babylonians invaded, Israel, invaded Judah, and that group in 586 was also overrun by the Babylonians. And um, Isaiah, here in um, Isaiah 43, is trying to speak to the group in the south, saying, the group up north, our brothers and sisters are long gone. The Assyrians have done, their, they've done them in. And we can see that the Babylonians are soon going to come as well if we don't get our act together with God. And God is willing to say, I'll do a new thing. Uh, If you'll look and if you'll understand it, something really cool will happen in the wasteland will have water. The places that are going to be just decimated will be made alive if you remain, or in the case of Judah, get back under the protection 
of God. They didn't do that. They did not. They chose not to. The Babylonians showed up. Lives were lost, disrupted. People were taken away in slavery. They were moved to Babylon. Whole families were just carted off as slaves to, to Babylon. They never got back. So the question for us today then, if that's the historical setting of Isaiah 43, here's the question. Will we listen to the possibilities of God working out a new life for us? Will we, and in doing so, we have to be willing to accept his leadership in our lives. Will we, will we allow Jesus Christ's place as the leader and Lord of our lives to be really the leader and Lord of our lives in 2018? It, we, we, would, we would use this kind of language. Theologically, we'd call, this, call it the sovereignty of God. In other words, will we allow God to set the course of our personal histories, seeking his plan for our lives? Because the citizens of Judah and Jerusalem said no. They said, no, Isaiah may offer this to us, but we're not interested. They forfeited the opportunity of new things, of new days. I mean, here's the God of the universe saying, I'll do something really cool for you. And they said, no thanks. And disaster ensued. How did they walk away from God? Well, the Old Testament shows us this, that basically they said, okay, so you're the creator of the universe. We'll let you run the universe, but we want to run our own lives. And we'll, we'll declare you to be the, 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 whoever you are of the universe, the creator. But when it comes to how we're going to operate our lives here on earth, we want to have little gods like our neighbors have. The nations around them had little gods, and they, they, they would have little things in their house made of brass and copper. And th this is a spittoon, all right? It's from my office. You're wondering why, why? Well, a gentleman from our church, um, who's passed away now, made this for me. I don't really know why, but he did. I don't spit in my office, but nonetheless I have it if case ever need to spit in my office, I guess. But I keep it in my office, and it reminds me that people years ago used to take brass and copper. This is made from brass and copper. And they made gods out of them. They said, you can be the god up there, but we want to be like our neighbors. And we want to have gods in our house that we can see. Because you who can't, we can't see, it seems so far off. I want to have an object that I can see and say, that's my god. And so, in doing so, they set up these little brass and copper or clay things in their houses and say, this is my God. That was their response to God saying, I'll do a new thing for you. And they said, no, I'm going to get out from that protection. I want to have a God in my house. How would you respond to God saying, I want to work in your life? How will we respond? See, experiencing God's new thing is based on our understanding not only of God's role in the cosmos, but also our own individual lives. In other words, we have to answer this question. Is God in charge of both the universe and you, or the universe and me, or just the universe? And the people of Judas chose to say, he's in charge of the universe, fair enough, but he's not in charge of me. That is really problematic for Scripture, and this is where you have to put your thinking caps on, all right? Some deep theology. Scripture states that God is the eternal God, the creator of the earth's ends, creator of the ends of the cosmos. He is not a created God, he, like this would be. He is the creator God. And there's a difference between the created God and a human God, it's something you hold in your hands, okay? So if you can think of it, put it, about, think of it this way. 
the creator God, uh, the God of the ages, as scripture puts it, uh, that if the story of the earth's existence started here, all right, or the story of the cosmos, the existence of the cosmos started here, and if you say God created that, all right, and scriptures say that God is the God of the ages, then that means that God is also the creator of the end of the earth and the creator of the end of the cosmos. What the, what the people of Judah said, keep thinking with me here, the people of Judah said, okay, God can be the creator of the end and the beginning, but the stuff in the middle, that's me. And that's the mistake they made. They forgot to understand that if you say that God is the creator of the beginning and the end, then he also has to be in charge of the stuff in the middle. He is the eternal God, literally the God of the age. God is the one who has always been and always will be. God is God from beginning to end, and he has to be the God in the middle as well, because otherwise what good does it do to have that God up there? You want the God in the middle of your life. So as the creator of the universe, this fully understanding God differs from any God that you might create with your hands. Here's why. Very clearly, if you create a God of your own hands, or if you have a God that you call your vocation, or your education, or your relationship, whatever, whatever is, becomes important in your life, if it's something that you have made, then it's static. It can't move. That, that spittoon cannot move off the table, right? The only way that, spat, that this spittoon moves is that I went up to pick up and carry it somewhere. And if, if, if the God is that small that you can pick it up and move it, or if the God is that small that you can actually see the shape of the God, then is that really the God of the universe? I need the God of the universe to be way bigger than that. And I need the God of the universe to be one that I cannot fully describe because I need God to be bigger than my brain. If my brain can describe all the attributes of God, then frankly, that's problematic because God's only as big as I can think. Here's what's going on. The problem with a human-made God is that that God has to be carried around to move them from place to place. But the God of the universe, the God of the ages from the beginning to the end and all in between, that real God is not someone who has to be carried, but who is in fact carries his people. And the people of Judah were offered an alternative to the coming of Babylon. The Babylonians were gonna come and tragically, they declined the offer. The Babylonians showed up Annihilated thousands. God offered them a life that was designed by heaven's plan. And the nation chose to forego that leadership saying, no thanks, you manage the universe, but we'll manage ourselves. It's about us, it's about what we wanna do. And we have parallels in our own time. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe offers a plan to carry individuals from life to death. And in doing so, the struggles of the past that you may have brought upon yourself or the struggles of the past that somebody else may have brought upon you, they don't have to be the boundary markers of, your, of life's adventures. You don't have to say, well, there's something there and there's something there, but in the middle I'm responsible for it. No, the scars of the past don't have to paint the colors of your life's future palette. So, believe it or not, that's all introduction. That's all introduction to the sermon. We're gonna be here a long time. No, we're not, okay? Isaiah 43, that's all to understand what happens at the very beginning of the chapter. 
At the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. In other words, I know who you are. You are mine. And based on that, you can be guaranteed that if you follow me, if you don't have one of these things, but in fact say that God of the universe can be engaged in my life, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is what God is offering the people of Judah. He's saying, if it, if, when life is like going to overwhelm you, if you listen to me, those waters will not, you won't drown when things like, it feels like things are burning up in front of you. That's not going to scorch you. Here's the God of the universe offering guidance and leadership and blessings. And they say, no thanks. We got this. Now, sadly, in our effort to make our own way, we lose our way. Because that's what happened. They said, we're going to make our own way. And, they, and consequently, they lost their freedom. They became slaves, literally. They focused on themselves and consequently lost their freedoms. And in our culture, we have lists of things, which in and of themselves are nice. But if we just rely on the lists, we've forgotten the freedom that is offered in Jesus Christ. That freedom starts with a willingness to allow the sovereign control of God in our lives. Not just in the universe, not just in the beginning or the end, but in the middle as well. And when we find, we say, wait a minute, I'm going to make my own way. You know what we end up? We end up spending all our attention and time focused on 42 tips to get skinny. Or 50 ways to practice self-care or the seven-day law of attraction or the 21-day anxiety challenge. And there's such an irony in this. Here's the irony, that if we focus on ourselves to the exclusion of the sovereign God's rule in our lives, if, it's all, if we say it's all about me, then we lose ourselves. But if we focus on the sovereign rule of God in our lives, then suddenly all the universe that God has at his control, all that universe is at God's fingertips on our behalf. So to me, the choice for 2018 is clear. I can forsake God and choose me, or I can seek God, who in turn chooses me. So either I carry myself and all my dreams and hopes around myself, or the God of the universe carries me to his best plans and dreams. And I love how Isaiah says, I want to... God wants to get engaged in this. Isaiah 43, verse 1 again, all right? Two words that I've not brought up as we've read that passage yet. It says, but now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name, you are mine. Did you catch the start of that statement? He says, but now. It's like, okay, this is going on. The Assyrians have taken over the people in the north. The Babylonians are coming. That's going on. You've done this in your life. You've done that in your life. Your life was not what you hoped. But now there's a new thing coming. But now the past is the past. God is, in fact, interrupting the patterns of the past. In other words, the events of 2017 are done and over. But now God is doing a new thing. The Assyrians which took your family or the Babylonians which are trying to come mess with you. But now God's going to interrupt all of that. The struggles are finished. Why? Because God says, but now. God has interrupted the patterns of the past and even the trajectory that the past said was going to come into play. So, 
Here we are, December 31st, 2017. What do we say? Not only is the 2017 calendar in the rearview mirror, okay? It's in the mirror and we can see it back there. Not only is that calendar there, but if we allow God's sovereign interruptions to come into our lives, then also the issues of 2017 are in the rearview mirror. And so are the issues before 2017, like the issues of 10 years ago. The issues of 2007 are in the rearview mirror. 1997's issues are in the rearview mirror. 1987's issues are in the rearview mirror. 1977's issues are in the rearview mirror. 1967's issues, they're all in the rearview mirror. 1957's issues, they're in the rearview mirror. 1947's issues, they're in the rearview mirror. 1937's issues are in the rearview mirror. 1927's issues are in the rearview mirror. And 1917's issues are in the rearview mirror. And if you have issues that go beyond, further back than 1917, then you're really old. <laughs> the rest of us are probably not quite that old. But for the rest of us, and for someone who was, has issues from 1917, if you will, God will interrupt all those matters of the past with a larger-than-life statement that says, but now fear not, for I have redeemed you. In other words, the God of the universe that starts and ends everything wants to be engaged in your life in the middle between the start and the end. If you allow him to take his role in your life as God through the work of Jesus Christ. You know, I came across a story this week that shows how life out can work out in ways that are quite remarkable. And I'm not certain if the people involved in this story are necessarily followers of Jesus Christ, but at least their story shows the sovereign work of God in play across the universe and in people's lives. The Independent, which is a um, newspaper out of Great Britain, ran this story this week. It's a story about a young couple, Ed and Heidi Savitt. They got married the, this past summer in Derbyshire, England. They've been dating, they'd been dating um, since they met as university students in 2011. So they dated for six years, okay? They now live in London. Their first encounter occurred when, uh, at the beginning of a school year in 2011, when, when Ed moved into a new student housing apartment and he couldn't get the clothes dryer to work properly. And he learned that there was this woman who had been in the apartment before him, somebody by the name of Heidi, he texted her and said, can you tell me how to work a clothes dryer? And so, from one tenant to the next tenant, they, she gave him some ideas, and they met each other, and they began dating. Four years later, after they'd been dating, they um, were at lunch one day with their mothers in London. So here's four people at lunch. I want you to catch who the four people are. You've got Ed and Heidi, the young couple. Okay? Ed's mother is a woman by the name of Fiona. So you've got Fiona, Ed, Heidi, and Heidi's mother is a woman by the name of Kate. They're chatting along, and, 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 and Kate goes, um, well, hey, Heidi, do you remember? It's just ironic to me. Here you are, you got this young man, on your, you're on his arm, his name is Ed. Do you remember back when you were six years old and we went to, we went to Turkey in 1997? don't remember much, Mom. Well, there was a little boy there by the name of Ed, and you used to hang out with him. I, I don't know what happened to that family, but you hung out with him, and it was like you two were best friends immediately. Remember how you used to walk around holding hands? Not really, Mom. No, I'm six years old. I don't remember much about that. 
1997? This is, you know, this is now uh, 2015 they're talking about this. A long time ago. I was six years old. I, I don't remember that. And, and, and Fiona, the other mother, says, well, that's weird. I think we were, we were in Turkey. I think it was probably sometime around that time, but I don't remember anything like that either. And so nothing thought of it. Just ironic that Heidi is, had become friends with this little boy by the name of, of Ed. Two weeks later, Kate, bride's mother, is up in the attic of the house looking at some stuff and, oh, comes across some photographs. Looking through the photographs, she discovers a photo of Ed and Heidi as young children, six years old, and suddenly realizes that is her future son-in-law at six years of age. They'd met all those years previously. This is what Heidi says. You know, I didn't believe in fate before, but there's no arguing with it. We were clearly destined to be together. It absolutely blows my mind that we first knew each other all those years ago. Now, I can't say I believe in fate, at least not in the same way in which the young bride described it. Perhaps their relationship was a marriage made in heaven, fair enough, but fate's not the issue for me. That's not an issue for me. What's an issue for me is the sovereign will of God. That's what's at issue for me, because I want the God who controls the universe, I want that same God controlling my destiny. So that if there's someone I'm supposed to meet, or if, there's a pl if God's calling me to go to Turkey in 2018, I want to go to Turkey. If God's calling me to go from this building here to South Shore sometime in 2018 for a particular event, and there's somebody down there I want to, that God needs me to meet, I want to, be, I want to have God so engaged in my life, not just in the beginning, at the end, but in the middle, the creator of the universe, I want that God directing me to be in South Shores at the right moment, or to be in Bloomington, or wherever it may be. If God's wanting to do something in my life, not only with relationships, but in terms of my ministry, or the way in which I think, I want God so engaged in who I am that it just happens naturally and normally. I earnestly, the scriptures talk about the glorious riches of God. I earnestly want the glorious riches of God's power to move in me and through me. And I'll experience that, you can experience that. As long as we lose the focus on ourselves. And the irony is, when we lose the focus on ourselves and say, God, you be in charge, then God perhaps, and in some strange way, brings all the lists to play into our lives. In the, as a... <laughs> Did something just fall? Something just happened back there, but anyways, okay. Somehow or other, God gets engaged in all of that by us focusing on him. Then the God of the universe works in our lives in ways that go remarkably well. So, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna examine this more closely in the weeks ahead, and we're gonna to use today's message as a jump off point. But in the meanwhile, moving from today, 2017, and tomorrow, 2018, let's be people who choose Jesus Christ's leadership in our lives. So that means, as you're thinking about what do you wanna do in 2018, how do you wanna live in 2018, Here's some things to think about. Jesus as the Lord of your life. Jesus as the leader of your life. What sanctification goals do you want in play? Like, what are the things you're going to say, I'm not going to do? And what discipleship goals do you want to put in play? Things I am going to do. Sanctification goals, things I'm not going to do. Discipleship goals, what I want to do. And again, not as to focus on you, 
But to ask the Holy Spirit to give us Jesus' direction about relationships and actions and attitudes and our pocketbooks and our opinions, our language, our vocations, our education, our future. We ask Christ, hey, this business of Isaiah 43 that God wants to do a new thing, I want to step into that. We choose to focus on him in 2018 and then we live out the coming year in submission, in submission to his sovereign work in us and through us. And to that end, would you pray with me, please? Lord, I would suspect, Lord, many of us here today are men and women and young people who want to serve you. And we certainly, we, we get the idea, God, that we want to serve you at the beginning and the end, and sometimes it's in the middle that we get things messed up. And we end up like the people of Judah and create these little things that we move, these little gods, if you will, that we move from place to place and we call it our vocation, we call it our relationship, we call it our pocketbook, whatever the case may be. And instead, God, we want to live in complete submission to who you are. Not as robots, God. That's not the point. But as people who willingly acknowledge that as the creator of the universe, as God, you are way bigger and can think way better things than we could even dream up. You're able to do more than all we could imagine. Lord, on behalf of all of us here today, I pray that you would do that in our lives. That you would, you would cause us to just pause and ask you to be the Lord of our lives. Of all the different places in our lives, the places in our hearts and our souls, God, that we compartmentalize and we we don't want to do what the, what the people of Judah did. They said, you could be God in heaven, but they wanted to run their own thing. Move us away from that sort of lopsided thinking. And particularly, Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't yet know the reality of Jesus Christ as being their Savior and their leader, their forgiver, their Lord God, make that a reality for them, we pray in Christ's name. So, before I close today, in light of the prayer, I'd like to invite you to be a person of prayer and to put some language to this as well. So, I, I want to teach you a little song that's um, very easy. The word, the, it's, it's one phrase. is Jesus be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. All the places in my heart that are maybe not fully behind you, fully surrendered to you, Lord. I want you to be the, the Lord of all that. So it goes like this. We're going to do it in both rooms. And uh, we're, we're leading from the, the West Auditorium and the East Auditorium today. Those in the East, just kind of hang with us here. We'll lead you through it here. It goes like this. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be Try with us. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdom of my Got it? All right. In both rooms, would you stand together, please? And, um, It's a prayer, isn't it? 
so one, st- one, one phrase prayer. Lord, be, 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 be the, everything that I have, all these places within me, I want you to be in charge of it. So in an attitude of prayer, I'd invite you, since you know the words already, uh, maybe you'd like to pray. Close your eyes. Maybe you'd like to take a posture of prayer and, and submission. God, here at the end of 2017 into 2018, I want you to be in charge of all that I am. And even the places, Lord, where I, I kind of rebel at times, I want you to be in charge of it. So you, let's sing it as a prayer. Jesus, I'd like us to seal this today is by being people who have with with some integrity and some honesty before God and each other pray about it now that we've sung that song and we've kind of made that our prayer maybe you'd like to have prayer with someone about that so there's going to be there are going to be church leaders in the front of both rooms and you'd say I'd like to I'd like to have a specific prayer about this matter that God would be in charge of this matter it might be my health it could be my finances, it might be a relationship that's mucked up, whatever the case may be. There's going to be people here in front of this room, people in the East Auditorium. We'd love to pray with you. The worship teams in both rooms are going to lead us. And as they lead us, let's be people who say, God, at the, at the end of 2017, going into 2018, this is a decision that I'm making today, that you're going to be in charge of all of this. I invite you to come at this time.